Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Our new series in Luke called Glorious Disruption, being taught by our senior pastor, Kevin Dibley, is about when Jesus shows up and turns everyone's world upside down. We believe this study of God's word is about to turn many people's lives completely around. It may be even upside down because that's what happens in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus comes to people who are absolutely stunned and amazed by him, and they are profoundly and gloriously changed forever. Let's begin by praying that this happens here at Waterbrook and beyond for our joy and amazement in Jesus. Let's worship together. Well, we're going to try to cover all of that <laughs> today. That's a rich text. I think you can see in the passage of Scripture we have three uh, parables of banquets that are brought together, and so Jesus really is addressing something uh, important for us all to see in this and in one sense we should be excited because there's a great banquet coming and we are invited to that banquet praise God and we ought to rejoice and anticipate that but we also ought to tremble because there's something that keeps people even those who were steeped in the traditions of the Jewish scriptures from coming to the table coming to the banquet coming to the wedding feast and uh, we just need to hear this passage of Scripture and ask that God would deal with our hearts. And so I'm going to ask a question this morning, uh, especially, you know, just thinking about Zoe heading off to uh, Kenya and Carice heading back to Italy. I, the question I want to ask this morning is, what will enable the gospel to go to the ends of the earth? Or if I put it another way, what will enable the gospel to go to the ends of the Southwest Metro? It's the same question either way. What's going to enable the gospel to go in that direction? And the answer I want you to see this morning is humility. Not power on our part, but humility. Gospel-centered, uh, gospel-empowered Humility, and I love this text of scripture to be at in the providence of God this time of year because I expect, today's the first uh, Sunday in October, and I now expect you to be pretty beaten up. <laughs> you know, you're moving into uh, life, you're headed back to school, you are involved and engaged in ministries, our children's ministry, our adult ministry, our women's ministry, our uh, small groups are beginning to ramp up. The moment you get to rub shoulders with one another, the reality is you realize there's a lot of work that has yet to be done in the kingdom of God. Isn't that true? And uh, God throws sinners together with one hope, Jesus Christ, and makes it clear, unless the Lord builds the house, they that build it labor in vain. And so when people go out to the ends of the earth, to share the gospel, there are all kinds of obstacles, you know, going to Kenya, there are political obstacles there, going to Italy, we were just in Italy this summer, and uh, it is hard ground for the advancement of the gospel. We worshiped in an Italian church, very small uh, Italian group of people, Mary Ann's writing a curriculum with some of them to share the gospel. It is hard to get going. I, I have friends in kind of really hard places. I have good friends, Ivan and Faye Wapanisk, who are Cree, 
and they are pastoring in a town called or a village called Weagamau, which if you Google it today, you will see is way up in the middle of nowhere. And sometimes you think, how did the gospel get to where it's going? Because there are hard places. I can just imagine what it was like traveling up some of those rivers. I've I've, I've just fished on the edge of, I, I fly fished, one, I remember fly fishing one time on the edge of Lake, the North Shore of Lake Superior. And uh, I was out there fly fishing and uh, uh, there was a beaver dam that I was standing on so I could kind of get out into the middle of it. And I'm standing there with my fly rod and, and uh, I can, the, the river's sort of thundering and it's going along and then I hear a crack, just a big crack. And I turn to my right. So this beaver dam is about 25 feet long. I'm smack dab in the middle. I turn, and there are a pack of wolves crossing the beaver dam. They have no idea. They can't, the wind is blowing this way. They can't smell me. They, can't, they haven't looked up. And I'm thinking, I'm about to go for a swim. Because if they keep coming, I'm gone. I had hip waders on, but it was pretty, you know, it's shaky there. So I just went, hey, because that's all I could think of. <laughs> and, the, and the pack of wolves stop and realize I'm here. And by the grace of God, they turn and, and go in the other direction. And, you know, there are all kinds of, that was just me hardly going into the north. And I think people would have traveled into Africa. They have traveled into um, in Indonesia. Uh, some of our folks here have had family in in. Um, Nepal and, and friends that are uh, going from Nepal to Africa. When you start to think of some of these, there are all kinds of physical uh, impediments for the gospel going forward. But I'll, I'll tell you this, the real impediments are not outside of us, they're inside of us. They're not the obstacles that are out here. I, I kind of picture uh, my fly fishing event uh, as I'm standing on that beaver dam and I'm fishing and the wolves are coming as a metaphor for my ministry. But I see it this way. The wolves that I are in most danger of are inside me, not outside me. It's the spiritual pride inside me that becomes wounded. Jesus is talking about pride. He's addressing pride. He has come into this banquet held by the ruler of the Pharisees, and as he comes into this place, there's a setup, a man with edema who is just being put up as a trap in front of him. You can just imagine how disheartening that is for Jesus. And if I was Jesus, I would have bailed right there. But what you actually see Jesus do is he tells three parables about banquets. He's at a banquet, and that's what Jesus does. If he's at a field, he talks about wheat or grain. If he's at a banquet, he talks about banquets. And he takes the picture of this banquet, and he begins to break up different people. He's got three different groups he addresses, but he's going after the same thing in all of them. He's telling them that you are seeking your assurances in the wrong places. You are finding your strength by the affirmations and the acceptance and the approval of others. That is the opposite of what he's doing. He's going to Jerusalem. He is being ridiculed and rejected, and he's not stopping. But here's the reason why Jesus will speak to them, and I love this. I mean, we could see Jesus just taking up the whip here and cracking and turning over the tables. But I don't think he's doing that. I think he's stopping and saying, because he weeps over Jerusalem, he's going, you guys got to wake up. 
Your pride will kill you. It'll destroy you. And, and you need to know where humility comes from. And Jesus' humility comes from the fact that he is absolutely confident that his Father is with him and for him. Absolutely committed. And this banquet, this kingdom that he's announcing is an invitation for you to come and eat freely at the banquet of God. You don't have to come at any other than on any other standard but his means. But you and I, you know, we're trying to do it on our own and we're trying to use our own resources and then we get our shoulders bumped by somebody else and we're ruffled because and the gospel will never go forward if we think we're going to be able to do it in our own strength. Or everybody's going to respond in a welcoming way. Would Jesus have ever gone to the cross? So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to read to you a quote from Andrew Murray. This is a, a really good quote, and I'm just going to go slow over it from his book on humility. I love this quote because I think it really is what's unfolding in the Gospel of Luke chapter 14. So listen to how Andrew Murray explains Jesus' ability to deny himself on our behalf and go to the cross even though his people are rejecting him and will ultimately crucify him. But he continues. Listen to what it says. Christ found this life of entire self-renunciation, of absolute submission and dependence upon the Father's will to be one of perfect peace and joy. He lost nothing by giving everything to God. The father honored his trust and did everything for him and then exalted him to his own right hand in glory. And because Christ had thus humbled himself before God and God was ever before him, he found it possible to humble himself before men also. That's a key line. He was able to be the servant of all. His humility was simply the surrender of himself to God to allow the Father to do in him what he pleased no matter what men around him might say of him or do to him. Isn't that good, a good line? I, I just want you to think about this because what Andrew Murray is saying is that Jesus was able to be humble when he was opposed and ridiculed and harassed by people, not because Jesus was looking at himself or Jesus thought he could somehow negotiate an understanding on the other side when he's teaching here. He's saying Jesus actually knew his father was with him. His father was for him. And no matter what anybody was doing, all he know, needed to know was that God, his father, had his back. And that freed him up to serve people who opposed him. He was able to go to the cross and serve those who opposed him for one simple reason. He didn't have to justify himself. God would justify him. He didn't have to vindicate himself. God would vindicate him. He trusted that his father had his back. And so here's, here's something that's helpful to me, and I hope it's helpful to you. And I'm just really thinking this time of year, you know, when you're starting to get busy and you start to get jostled and we're really tired and the days get shorter and we all get grumpy and all those kind of things that go on um, that make life complicated. If we could just pull back and say, when I'm struggling with other people, my problem isn't other people. My problem is I'm struggling with God. I'm not believing the gospel. I'm not trusting he's with me. 
So anxiety comes and agitation comes. And so what I, what, what the answer, according to this text of scripture, and you're going to see this. That's why I'm saying it this way, because I think it's really true. You're going to see in this passage of scripture that Jesus is going to speak to all of these people who are struggling with spiritual pride. And he's going to speak to them, and he's going to say to them, go low, not high. But he's going to give them the reason, because your father's on your side. And he's going to point to some aspect of the Father, which I hope is comforting to you today and freeing to you. I don't expect you're going to walk out easily today and say, boy, everything is peace and joy, like Jesus does. But with Jesus' help, that's the direction we ought to be moving and the comfort that we ought to find in him. So this is what I hope we see in this passage of scripture, the challenge. The kingdom of God, Jesus is saying, is an invitation from God to feast at the table of his goodness and grace. And I tell you, he can set up that table anywhere at any time. Ultimately, he'll set it up finally in a place of great rest with Jesus. So the kingdom of God is an invitation to feast at the table of God's goodness and grace. So I want to talk about gospel humility. I'm using that language today. It's humility that is not born of some kind of willpower of myself, some kind of agreement between you and I. It's, it's the, the humility that flows because the good news of the gospel is God is for me and not against me, and it sets me free. So gospel humility is trusting the goodness, grace, and faithfulness of God in Christ that we can gladly and willingly surrender ourselves. I should put, you know, gladly there. I just, that's my emphasis. Gabe always teases me. I always want to say joyfully. <laughs> but, but that's what I feel like. I just think to joyfully give yourself in service to others no matter what the reaction is for the name of the Lord, for his namesake. So let me walk through each of these parables and tell you something about gospel humility, what humility is. Humility, first of all, Jesus says, is choosing to serve in the lowest position, believing that God will exalt you in due time, right? You know other passages of scripture, I'm going to go there, but that's what gospel humility is, taking the low position, believing that God will exalt you in Due time. So look at verse 8. Jesus has released, because he loves this uh, man with the demon, he's, he's, he's clearing him out of the, the, the house of, of torment, that these people are not caring for him, but using him. And in verse 8 it says, Jesus says, uh, well actually, let me just look at verse 7 so you see what's going on. Now he told a parable to who? To those who uh, were invited when he noticed how they chose the place of honor, saying to them. So he, they chose the place of honor. So you're, everybody's kind of coming in and trying to get that place where if, if I receive honor, I feel better about myself, right? They're, they're, they're all sitting there. Jesus is sitting there looking at this and going, this doesn't work in the kingdom. This, this won't work in the kingdom. You'll never go to the cross if you're trying to find a place of honor here. But the only way you can possibly choose a lower place in the kingdom of God is to believe that God will exalt you as he's promised in due time. You don't have to exalt yourself. He will exalt you in due time. So Jesus says this parable, look at verse eight. When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit in a place of honor. Let someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. Just let me know, every time I go someplace, almost everybody far more distinguished. And I don't, if I think otherwise, <laughs> it's because I'm deluded. 
He says, let someone more distinguished than you be invited. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lower place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the low place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Do you see the gospel in this? Is it obvious to you what Jesus did? This, this is exactly what Jesus does in the gospel. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's a fundamental truth of the kingdom of God. He who humbles himself will be exalted. He who exalts himself will be humbled. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I remember one time, this is the first time I ever went to the C.S. Lewis conference. Most of my life I ride on Mary Ann's coattails, just so you know. So I go to the C.S. Lewis conference, and we're in Cambridge University, and we get invited, or we're going out to this banquet with all the bigwigs. And so we're, we're at this banquet, I don't even know where we were, somewhere in Cambridge, England. And we get seated, in fact, I, on the bus there, this guy gets on the bus, because I don't know anybody. I'm, I'm from Thunder Bay. So I don't know anybody. And I'm, I'm sitting on the bus, and this guy gets on the bus, and I go, I know that guy. And this is my brilliant mind. I'm thinking, he must be Canadian. Right? That was my first reaction. And I'm spinning in my head. How do I know that guy? How do I know? He goes by, and I go, he walk, goes by, and I wave, I wave at him. You know how I go? So then I, I go to the banquet, and we sit at this table, and this guy and his wife comes and sits down, and it dawns on me. He is not Canadian. He is a major Christian writer, and I know him because his picture was on back a book I read of him. <laughs> That's the only reason why he's familiar. So I'm sitting at this table with a kind of erudite group of people uh, and uh, thinking, what in the world am I doing here? And then the waiter comes. It's that moment. The waiter comes and says, uh, Kevin and Marianne, and I realize here's the moment of demotion. <laughs> Somehow I got to the wrong table. <laughs> so he says, um, we're going to have to seat you somewhere else. I said, of course you are. Like outside the building, <laughs> right? And so he said, follow me. And he walks us up to the front, to the platform, to the head table. There are two seats. And we sit there. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever experienced in my life. I shouldn't have been down there. Now I'm at the head table. The only reason why is the president of the C.S. Lewis Foundation considered us friends. They were neighbors with Marianne. She had worked with them for a long time. And they said, you, we want you with us. And I thought, isn't that an amazing picture of the gospel? I shouldn't even be in the room. And now I'm seated at his table. This marvelous thing. And Jesus says to these people, do you understand how the kingdom works? It doesn't work like self-promotion, getting people to recognize you. It's not what you do. Come in, sit at the lowest place. Take that lowest place. See what I'm doing? That's why I'm here. The son of God, the one loved from all eternity, is taking the lowest seat, the lowest seat. And his father will exalt him in due time. And so you and I need to see that, you know, at the heart, spiritual pride, seeking to, seeking to find, you know, honor, seeking to position ourselves, I really think this is a very dangerous thing that leads to spiritual abuse in the church. We want to be seated with those who are somebody. If you've heard of the, 
the podcast on um, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, I think intrinsically what happens to us is we want to belong to a group that is acceptable and recognized and has their theology together, but we don't realize the moment we begin to do that, we become blind to the very people that God has intended for the gospel to go forward. I'll tell you how the kingdom of God goes forward. It doesn't go on with crowns of gold and applause of men. It's when somebody goes where somebody else won't go and ministers where somebody else won't do it. That's how people go to the ends of the earth. That's how the gospel will go forward in the southwest suburbs. Let me just remind you of a few things from Scripture. Number one, God will not share his glory with another. Listen to Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I do not give to another, nor my praise to carve idols. Listen again. It says, Later in the scriptures, Proverbs 16, 5. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. You, you understand? It is anti-God. This is the humble God. This is the servant God who works on behalf of the weak and guards the orphan and the widow. Aren't you glad that he's like this? The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Proverbs 16.5, Proverbs 16.18 and 19. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before what? A fall. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Those are powerful passages of scripture. Now let me just remind you of something. We're going to give you a Lewis quote I have here. You guys will have to find out where it is uh, later on there. But the desire to be honored is not a sinful desire. We were made to hear the Father's voice say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's why he sent his son to give us the right to be called the children of God. The desire to be honored isn't wrong. The problem is it's when you want to be honored by the wrong people for the wrong reasons and it keeps you from humbling yourself before God. So listen to what C.S. Lewis says and I think this is really helpful. He says, the sense that in this universe we are treated as strangers and some of you know what I'm talking about right now feel like nobody knows you, nobody sees you, nobody acknowledges your existence. The sense in the universe we're treated as strangers, the longing to be acknowledged, to be met with some response, to bridge some chasm that yawns between us and a reality is part of our inconsolable secret. I love that phrase. Every one of us wants honor, to know we're valued, Somebody sees us. That is an inconsolable secret. Lewis writes, and surely from this point of view, the promise of glory in the sense described becomes highly relevant to our deep desire. For glory means good report with God, acceptance by God, response, acknowledgement, and welcome into the heart of things. The door on which we have been knocking all our lives will be open at last. Won't that be great? I mean, not just to sing with all the saints, but to hear with absolute clarity, you are mine, says the Lord. I love you, and I'll never let you go. 
You're meant to hear that today. You're meant to hear that today because that'll enable you to serve when it doesn't feel like anybody loves you, that anybody sees you. The gospel is this great announcement by God that he sees you and has come to save you. He went low so that we might be made sons and daughters, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that we might sing the praises of him who saved us, right? Amen. Humility is going low because we know. That's what I want to say to you. You'll never be able to successfully humble yourself and serve until you believe this by faith in the power of the Spirit. You matter to God, and he will exalt you in due time. In fact, he already calls you in Christ his child. You already have been adopted. That's what we are. This is love, right? This is love. He calls us. We are the children of God. John in gospel says it. John in his letters, epistles, affirm it to you. And I can't say it enough today. Please hear me in the gospel. You matter to God. He will exalt you in due time. Not because of us, amazingly. He'll call you up to that head table and say, sit right here. And the only thought that will go through your mind is, somebody's got something mixed up here. And there's nothing mixed up. Because he set his love on you before the foundation of the world and came and got you, sealed you with the Holy Spirit and calls you his beloved. That's the way it is. Secondly, humility is choosing to serve the least of all people, knowing that God will repay you in the life to come. And so it's an interesting thought I want you to think about, but there's a promise of reward here in this passage of Scripture. Let's look at Luke 14. So he says also to the man, so he's talking to the people who are jostling for a place at the table, and then he turns and he talks to the ruler of the Pharisees. And, and I, I'm thankful. Isn't the mercy of Christ, even though he's being, you know, tricked, being set up, they're going to try to trap him and kill him. Even though he's doing that, he speaks to the very man who's kind of the head of it all. And he, and he talks to him. And he says, you got to be careful what you're doing here. This is a toxic environment. This thing where you're trying to position yourself for your advantage, it's counter-kingdom. It's counter-kingdom. Gospel can't go forward. My kingdom doesn't go forward this way. So listen to what Jesus says in verse 12. He said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet... Do not invite your friends or brothers or relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. David Garland, in his commentary, says that the do not invite here is a present prohibition, which doesn't mean that you uh, never ask your friends over or your family over. But he says it suggests a customary habit where that's what you do all the time. It's the only thing you do. He says, do not habitually call them. Jesus is not forbidding inviting one's family, friends, and neighbors to meal. He forbids you doing that exclusively. And so 
Jesus says to the man, when you give a dinner, do not invite your friends or brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors that they also may invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now in the Jewish law, there were commandments that they were to take care of the weak and the broken. And the outcast, listen to Deuteronomy 40, 14, 28 to 29, at the end of every three years, you shall bring out of all the tithe of your, pro, of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite who has no portion with you and the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled that the Lord may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. But what he's saying here is if you want to serve in the kingdom, if you want to be part of the kingdom, then you have to seek to serve. Humility serves those who cannot counter with any blessing, can't respond. Philip Riken in his commentary says, the only selfless way to serve is to invite a guest who has nothing to offer except what? His need. Who's doing that? Christ is doing it right here in this scene. He's inviting these people to the banquet. Even though they don't know their need, they have no way. He's going to the cross. There is no way for us to repay him. My dear friends, there is no purgatory that will compensate for our sins and atone for Jesus' payment. There's nothing we can do for all eternity that will atone for that. We have no means by which to pay. We have no righteousness. We have no checklist of churchianity that somehow gives us a higher status. We have a debt we cannot pay. He paid a debt he did not owe at the cross. When he said it was finished, we have nothing to add. Nothing else that we can do. And so, you know, this is, I, I have dear friends. They were actually here um, two or three weeks ago. Their ministry is to disabled adults in their home all year round. They work with Johnny Erickson and her ministry. They sometimes watch online, so maybe they're watching online, and I love them. And I just think, there is no recompense for what they're doing. That they're doing it because Jesus has done it for them. They're doing it because they want them to know Jesus. And and I I know for many of you that the ministry that God has called you to is it's not you're not doing it because there's some kind of payback. You're doing it because Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit has opened up your heart to give you the opportunity to sow something of the love and the grace and the freedom and the generosity of God in the gospel, right? That's what's going on. This is a banquet where we're inviting people in who have no means to repay us. That's what God is doing in the gospel. This is not a repayment plan. If you, do, if you come and honor me, Jesus Christ, then I'll set up a payment plan and after 10 million years of good works and right attitudes, if that's the case, what's the problem? I need a bonus 10 10 million years because my righteousness is as filthy rags. I fall far short of the glory of God. Here is the great news of the gospel that Jesus has promised one day 
that God will, it says at the, verse 14, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. One second of glory will correct any self-pity you have in this life. One second of eternity will change your attitude. And you know, it is hard. Some of you know this story. Ray Steadman tells um, the story, the famous story, uh, so that's why I say some of you might know it, of Henry Morrison and his wife. And Henry Morrison and his wife served in Africa for decades. And they came back by ship to New York. And Steadman tells the story as Morrison and his wife are coming back, they can hear a band strike up as they pull into the harbor. And what they had realized along the trip is that President Teddy Roosevelt was also coming back from Africa because he had gone on a hunting expedition. And so the band played and the president came off and there was all kinds of fanfare and a ticker tape parade and all of that kind of stuff and they all moved back and, and uh, Henry Morrison and his wife got off and no one greeted them. No one met them. That's why we pray by the grace of God, Waterbrook, that we'll take care of our missionary partners. That should never happen. But at night, they found a cheap apartment flat on the east side of New York, and Henry Morrison and his wife were sitting there, and he says to his wife, after all those, I can't take this. God isn't treating us fairly. <laughs> and being a wise wife, she said, well, maybe you just need to go and spend some time alone praying with the Lord. And so a short time later, Henry Morrison came out of the bedroom, and his face was completely different. And his wife said, dear, what happened? And Stedman writes, he said, the Lord settled it with me. I told him how bitter I was that the president should receive this tremendous homecoming when no one met us as we returned home. And when I finished, it seemed as if the Lord put his hand on my shoulder and he said, but you're not home yet. That's really a helpful picture. Friends, if you're struggling with the fact that doesn't seem like it's turning out and you've sacrificed and nobody's acknowledged you and all of those kind of things. Just let me remind you, you're not home yet. And the greeting on that side, the feast on that side, you will not, you will not walk in and be unnoticed. But your sacrifices and services will be honored by the king of kings who will say, what? Well done. My good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Finally, thirdly, gospel humility chooses to make the lowly, most lowly of admissions confident that God will welcome us into the most glorious of celebrations. Here, here's what I think Jesus teaches in the last parable. We're really bad at humility. We're terrible at it. This text is not saying if you get humility right, you'll get rewarded. What it's telling you is that you need to humble yourself. Not take the highest position, but the lowest position. You're to humble yourself and not serve all those who can pay you back, but to serve him and serve those who cannot pay you back because the Lord will re reward you on that day of righteousness. He's that God. But here's the last thing he says. When the invitation goes out, just come. Just come. Nothing in your hand to bring. Just show up. Have you ever had somebody say, you don't have to bring anything? Just show up. Isn't that a great invitation? Just show up. We got it covered. That's the gospel. 
God has promised in this text. So listen to what he says here when he talks. There's, he, he says that on that day, he will repay us. And some guy says in the crowd, blessed is the one who eats bread in the kingdom. And another guy yelled, truth, right? And, and the assumption is in that cry out to Jesus' teaching. He says, we're on the inside. We're going to be rewarded. And Jesus is going, you're not being rewarded by anything here. You have to come empty-handed. And that's what's going to keep you out of the kingdom, thinking somehow. So this is, Jesus says in verse 16, he said to a man, said to, a, said to that man who shouted out, after Jesus talked about being rewarded, he said, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. And so this is what's happening all the way through the history of Israel. There's been a promise of a great banquet coming. And Jesus comes to say, the table's ready. Now you can enter in. This is the day you've been waiting for. And as Jesus comes, they won't come in. They won't respond. His own people won't respond. And so Jesus tells this parable and he says, at that time of banquet, uh, for the banquet, he sent a servant saying, come uh, to those who've been invited. Come, everything's now ready. And they all began to make excuses. They said to him, I have bought a field. I must go out to see it. Please let me be excused. Another said, I have bought five cow of oxen. Let me go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife. Therefore, I cannot come. Are those sounding like legitimate excuses? They do sound legitimate. Now, um, Riken says these are excuses. They're not legitimate excuses. But here's what I think Jesus is actually saying. What's happening in this text of scripture is not just these guys are you know, busy and distracted and won't hear the response. What happens when pride comes in and injury happens to us is we turn to other things which become false gods to us because in those things we get our sense of reward, we get payment back, we get our sense of identity, right? So if I buy a piece of land and get enough real estate. If I get five cows, you know, or five yoke of oxen, tan oxen, if I, if I get a bride and I get my identity all wrapped up. You see, what I'm trying to do is when I'm wounded, when, when people reject me, when I live in this, with this inconsolable, C.S. Lewis says that inconsolable longing to be recognized and it doesn't come now, what do I do? I go try to fill that void with other things. And Lewis, C.S. Lewis says another place, it's not that our desires are too strong, it's too weak. Right? We're fiddling around with sex and money and power when God is inviting us to a glorious eternal feast. And see, let's be honest. There's a lot of times we have stopped serving God and filled our lives with alternative substitutes for Jesus because we can't wait. 
We want that reassurance. We want that inconsolable longing. And then God comes along and says, Jesus comes along and says, I have come that you might have life. I am the bread that you will eat at the resurrection on that day. I come to give you life. Listen to this promise in Isaiah 25. This is what they were waiting for. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. He will swallow up on the mountain the covering that is cast over all the peoples, the veil that is spread over all the nations. He will, praise God, swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away all the tears from your our faces and the reproach of the people he will take away from the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him. Friends, wait for him that he might save us. This is the Lord we have waited for him. Let us be joy, rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Christ has come and announced, I am here, the bread of life. I am here to give you grace and, and blessing from the table of God. Come eat now. I wanna challenge you today just to stop and say, what is it that you are tempted to turn to rather than to Jesus Christ? Don't turn there. He has invited you to feast at the table. That day, as, as Gabe is, I think Gabe, you say it every week. I can't wait for, the, for when this all, under, isn't it true? Every tribe, every tongue, every nation falling at the feet of Jesus and we see him for who he is and it will be weeping with great joy and him, wipe, I, you know, it says he'll wipe away every tear. I don't know what that's like. Does he got time? Because I'll be sitting there weeping and if he's wiping every tear, you'll be going, come on, devil, straighten up. But he, he will do that. The aches, the rejections, the pain, Overwhelmed by the joy and the satisfaction of the Lord, he will answer that. So how do you enter the kingdom? How do you kill pride? How do you take this posture? I'm going to go back to Andrew Murray, and I'll read you this quote. And, th- and there's a lot in this text. I'm just wrapping it up because I'm already going too long. Um, but, you know, what happens is he goes to the outcasts of Israel. Then he goes to the outsiders in the passage. He's, he's filling that room with the nations with the Gentiles, that's how this parable goes. But this is what Andrew Murray says about how do I have humility? How do I overcome this spiritual pride that I have? He says this, how can I die to self? The death of self is not your work, it's God's work. Place yourself before God in utter helplessness. Consent heartily to the fact of our weakness to slay or make yourself alive. Here's the good news. You can't even humble yourself. But he can by his grace. Sink down into your own nothingness in the spirit of meek and patient and trustful surrender to God. Accept every humiliation. Listen to me. God will send people who mistreat you so that you can be humbled. Turn you to the spirit. That's why he sends them. And so listen to what he says. Look upon every person who tries your parents, sorry, tries your patience or irritates you as a means of grace to humble you. So friends, I am here to help you get humble. (laughs) I have the spiritual gift of annoyance. Right? 
Use every opportunity of humbling yourself before your fellow men as a, a help to remain humble before God. It's by the mighty strengthening of his Holy Spirit that God reveals Christ fully in you. In this manner, Christ in his form of a servant is truly formed in you and dwells in your heart. God will accept humbling of yourself as proof that your whole heart desires it. I love that line. You don't have to be perfectly humble. He just knows that you're seeking to humble yourself. And that exercise of faith because of Jesus is received as fully perfect humility because of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? So the point of the sermon here today is not if you humble yourself and get yourself right, um, you can be accepted and eat at the table and be welcome to the banquet. The point of the sermon is you and I need to, every day, every week, every encounter with somebody that jostles us and hurts our feelings, we need to stop and go, God, I am still a far away from being humble like Jesus. Help me. Heal me. Make me new. He loves to answer that prayer, right? God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let's pray together. Oh God, hear our cry. Turn our eyes to Jesus who trusted you, completely trusted you. Believe that you would reward him, believe that you would honor him, believe that you would uh, recompense him for all his suffering and he was able to humble himself and become obedient to death on our behalf. Thank you Jesus because we are proud people. Thank you that you don't let us go. So help us, forgive us, heal us, and set us free for Jesus' sake. God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.